I told him out in the hallway earlier, I said, you guys make it easy to follow y'all to preach, because, uh, man, it's, this is awesome. Uh, they have graciously, uh, uh, they've been in the service with us, uh, both services so far, and they've graciously said they'd go over in the chapel to make room uh, for, during this service, so thank you, and it's such a privilege to have them. Thank you all for being here today. It is so good to see you. I want us to look um, for just a few minutes. We don't have much time left, but I'm going to take everything I got. So uh, I want us to look just a few minutes at Matthew chapter 6 today, the last portion there of that chapter. Just to give you some context of the chapter right here, we are jumping directly in to the middle part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, goes through Matthew 7, and we're jumping right here in the middle. And so far, Jesus, as he sat there and as he's taught his disciples, he's given them the Beatitudes. He's already talked to them about being salt and light in this world. He's talked about issues of lust, divorce, oaths, loving your enemy. They've all been topics as Jesus has, has taught. Just a few verses before our passage, Jesus teaches them and us how to pray through the model of the Lord's Prayer. And then he teaches the importance of fasting. And when he gets to verse 19, verses 19 and 20, he gives us uh, the first of three imperatives or commands that we are to follow from this, from this passage. And, and uh, the first thing he says, he teaches, he says to his disciples, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the first of the commands. We're going to look, we're going to skip down to chat, uh, verse 25, and we're going to look here now. At, at this passage, Jesus speaking says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet. I love those therefores and and yets, because you always know something good's coming. He says, and yet. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He gets right down to it really fast. He says, O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this text that we just read, like I said, there's three main commands that we find. The three commands are this. The first one we see in verse 20, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He gives, the, he gives the negative of that command in verse 19 where he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures here on this earth. The second command he gives multiple times throughout this passage. He says, do not be anxious. He, in fact, he says it three, three times. Verse 25, 
Do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then again in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And then he gives the last of the three commands in verse 33 when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the question to us today is, how do these commands relate to each other? But more important than that, how do they affect my life? What am I supposed to do with these commands? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the large overarching command. Basically, he's saying be passionate about experiencing the saving, purifying, empowering, love-producing reign of God in your life and over the world. Just a few verses earlier in the Lord's Prayer, he taught them to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come in what? In my life and in all the nations. The command to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven is a specific instance of what seeking God's kingdom involves. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness involves not trying to be rich on earth, but trying to be rich in heaven, and that is rich in God. Seeking the kingdom means treasuring God and freeing yourself from the temporary things of earth. And then the do not be anxious command. This is the condition of the heart by which we break free from our addiction to earthly treasures and give ourselves with passion to heavenly treasures. By faith in his promises, God frees us from our anxiety and in this freedom, we don't crave the treasures of earth anymore. Those are the three commands in this text. That is what Jesus wants us to be like. He wants us to be a people who are free from anxiety, a people who are passionately pursuing and seeking his kingdom, and a people who are laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth. That is the fruit of trusting Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and our treasure. This is the normal Christian life. You realize that? This is what the Christian life truly is. But unfortunately, so many of us get caught up myself included, in the things of this world that we spend our lives full of anxiety, full of fear, not fully trusting Jesus and not laying up treasures in heaven and not truly seeking after the kingdom of God. But this, Jesus says, is what the normal Christian life is. Now, I got to stop right here. It's really quiet in this room. The first two services... I've had a choir over here the first time, so if you sat in this section, I'm sorry, I got to hear some noise over here, all right, or else we're not getting through this. Chapel, let me hear you right now, all right? I know you guys are rocking over there. These three commands are the normal Christian life, radical freedom from earthly things and earthly security with a joyful pursuit of God and his righteousness as our treasure. So let's look at the reasons Jesus gives us for not being anxious Three times in verses 25 through 34, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? He talks a lot about people who are anxious about eating. I'm one of those people. I get anxious about three, four times a day. You know what I'm saying? I got you, Frank. All right. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? 
Verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. You know, it's interesting to me as I studied this passage, as I looked through all the verses that talk about anxiety, it's interesting to me that Jesus spent a good portion of his Sermon on the Mount talking about it. Paul talks about it. When he tells us, he says, he says get rid of your anxiety, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your, make your requests known to God and the God of peace, Right? And then Peter talks about it. Peter says, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So if Jesus, Peter, and Paul are all talking about it, you know what that tells me? That tells me they knew we were all going to deal with it. We were all going to deal with it. We all deal with anxiety in some form or fashion. And So what is Jesus telling us about this? So the question is, what is anxiety? Well, anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease that typically comes about uh, when there's an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. The National Institute of Mental Health says, occasional anxiety is an expected part of life. Anybody here ever deal with occasional anxiety? Just me? Oh, five of us, all right. Well, that's all right. The rest of you, at some point in your life, it's going to hit you, and you're going to be like, oh, this is what he was talking about, all right? Occasional anxiety is an expected part of life. You might feel anxious when faced with a problem at work before taking a test or before making an important decision. Anxiety disorders involve more than temporary worry or fear. For a person with an anxiety disorder, the anxiety does not go away and can get worse over time. People with anxiety, they sometimes feel restless, wound up on edge. They have difficulty concentrating. They're easily irritable. My wife will tell you that's me. Um, they have, they have problems sleeping. They, they tremble there. There's the feelings of being out of control. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and ultimately to us, look, I want you to be free from this. I don't, I don't want you to have this. That's why he gives his disciples eight reasons to help fight the good fight. He knows that this is a battle that each and every one of us will face and he knows you're going to wake up from time to time with, your, with irrational anxiety attacks. I can't tell you how many times since the beginning of the year as, as we've thought really hard and prayed really hard and tried to focus really hard on our next step as we move to Dallas, how many nights I've laid in bed wondering, are we going to fail? Are we going to make it? Are we going to have the right people? And I'm wide awake. I can't sleep. And Jesus is saying, Nathan, that's, that's not the life I want for you. I want you to live a life of trust. He knows, he told us in Matthew 24 that there's going to be wars and rumors of war. He said in Luke 10 that he's going to send us out like lambs in the midst of wolves. In John 16, he knows that there will come a time when those who kill you will think that they're serving God. And so he understands that you and I will face anxiety. But in the midst of that, in spite of all that, right in the middle of that, he wants his people to be a people of peace and not anxiety. So let's look at Jesus' reasons to us to not be anxious. First, he tells us in this passage that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And here comes the reason. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I quit. Why do we tend to get anxious about food and clothing? Why? Because, well, we'd lose some stuff if we didn't have food or clothing, right? First off, if we didn't have food, 
we'd lose some pleasures. How many of you like food? Any of you here with me today? Well, only three of you again. Well, okay. The rest of you are liars or vegans. So um, I, told, I told him in the first service, I said, look, I said, we're going to Dallas, and I do care about, if you have contacts in Dallas, I care about all that. But what I really care about is, if you know the best barbecue place in Dallas, you better let me know right now, all right? That's, that's priority number one. No, not really. I'm, I'm obviously kidding. But we all love food. Food tastes good. We love it. It's pleasurable to eat. If we didn't have clothing, we'd, we'd probably lose some human praise, right? And definitely get some weird looks, right? But we stress about clothes, right? We stress about what are people going to say about this? I put on three different suits, uh, and it wasn't about this morning. It wasn't about what people were going to say. Is that I've been enjoying the food part too much, if you know what I mean. Third, we would lose long life if we had no food at all or weren't protected from the cold with warm clothes. And so we get anxious about food and clothing because we don't want to lose physical pleasures or human praise or length of life. And to this, Jesus responds and says, if you're gripped by anxiety over these things, then you have lost sight of what the greatness of life is really about. Life was not given primarily for physical pleasures. It was given for something greater, the enjoyment of God. Life was not given primarily for the approval of man, but something far greater, the approval of God in our life. Life was not given primarily for extension on this earth, but for something that is greater, eternity with God in the age to come. So we shouldn't be anxious about food and clothing because they can't provide the good things of life, the enjoyment of God, the pursuit of his gracious favor, the hope of eternity in his presence. We get anxious about these things to the same degree that we lose sight of the great purposes of a God-centered life. Do you hear that this morning? When we get all anxious about these temporary things, it's telling us that we've lost sight of the great God-centered life that he wants us to be living. The bottom line defense against anxiety is that in Christ you have eternal life. And Paul tells us that to die is to gain. That's why Jesus says in Luke 12, 4, Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. In other words, there is something far worse than death, but it can never happen to you if you are in Christ. So do not be anxious. Number two, You're more valuable than the birds that God feeds. Verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks a beautiful question. Are you not of more value than they are? What we see when we look at the birds is not a lesson in laziness. He tells us that the birds don't sow or, or reap or gather. What he's saying is, no, no, no. These birds go out every day. They get the worms. They, they get the bugs. They, they build their nest. But it's God that feeds them is what Jesus is saying. And what we see when we look at the birds is a creature who does not act as though God is only a merciful provider for today but won't be for tomorrow. Birds don't anxiously hoard things and, and food for the day of God's demise. They go about their work as though when the sun comes up tomorrow, God will still be God. And the problem is, we don't do that all the time. We don't live our lives with faith thinking that tomorrow, God will still be God. You know how we know that? Because we stress out about tomorrow. 
and we worry about tomorrow. How is this going to happen? And how are these things going to be accomplished? And God's saying, that's not the life I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to something deeper. How much more then should we reckon with the reality and mercy of God tomorrow since we're not just birds but children of our Heavenly Father The biggest difference between a disciple of Jesus and a bird is that we have the capacity of honoring God by our faith. And God values the exercise of our faith more than he values the little bird. And so we shouldn't be anxious because the birds have taught us that God can be counted on to work for us tomorrow just as much as he is working for you and I today. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and he cares vastly more for you than the birds that he takes care of each and every day. And so Jesus says, because of that, don't be anxious. Now we're getting to the kingdom. We just got to get through the text to get there, right? So number three, Jesus tells us that anxiety accomplishes absolutely nothing. Verse 27 And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I love the way Jesus puts stuff sometimes. Almost a little sarcastic. Come on, guys. You really think being anxious, you're going to even add an hour to your life? Stop. It's a simple, pragmatic argument. Anxiety does no good. It accomplishes nothing. It doesn't help. When you and I are anxious, we're, we're accomplishing nothing by having anxiety. It's only making a hard situation harder. And so we need to listen to Jesus and say no to this Satan-given, no-good emotion. Whatever problem is causing you to feel anxious, you can be sure that your anxiety over that problem is not going to make that problem go away. You're still going to have that problem to deal with. And the problem that we have is that sometimes we have a problem and we spend so much energy and effort being anxious and worried about it that the problem never gets solved and we drag it into tomorrow, which drags into tomorrow and our anxiety. And we've got all this wasted energy and time over a problem when God's saying, I want you to trust in me. Jesus says it's useless. Number four is beautiful to me. The grass and the lilies that God clothes last for a day, but you are eternal. Look at verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says it, O you of little faith. This is almost the same argument from the birds of the air, but not quite. The point there was that you're more valuable than the the birds that God feeds. The point here is that you are promised eternal, everlasting life. And the grass and the lilies, they last for just a day. And yet God clothes them more beautifully than King Solomon, who had all the riches of the world, was arrayed. The most amazing truth in this passage for us is the truth that Jesus pretty much takes for granted that God's sovereign rule over the world of nature extends to the seemingly insignificant color of a lily. 
These are not mere natural laws that God put into motion and set loose to do good and bad things with no control over them. These are his doing. And the, the application to our lives from this, these verses today is if God is so intimately and lavishly involved with grass and flowers that are like a vapor, then how shall he not care for his children who he has promised everlasting life to? So the inference for us today is trust him. Trust him. And he calls us out, oh, you of little faith, I want you to trust me. Come whatever may, he is going to take care of you. Allison and I got married in June, as most of you know. And uh, right before, two weeks before the wedding, we were in an accident and totaled her car. And um, man, that was rough. Uh, we got through that, got through the wedding and honeymoon, came back and said, all right, we got to find a new car. So we, God graciously opened up a door. We were able to buy a new car, pay cash for it, and on our way. Three weeks later, my car goes into the shop, blew the transmission. I just paid the car off in May. This is now <laughs> July. Always happens that way, right? So we put it in the shop, $3,000. We're going, okay, where's that coming from? So she picks me up from the shop on Friday. I dropped it off. She picks me up. We're headed back to the house. I reach over and turn on the air conditioning, and I hear, (laughs) the air compressor in her car went out. I should have said, I will bless the Lord at all times, but I did not say that. I was very frustrated. So we um, we get home. We had to leave on Monday morning to drive to Pennsylvania for youth camp. I said, well, that's all right. We'll just go to youth camp and we'll keep the windows down. It rained the entire way. <laughs> so Allison had to leave youth camp and she had to go to a funeral in Ohio at the church that she, um, that she had worked at while she was in college. And so she left on Tuesday morning to go to Ohio. About four o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call from her and she was like, uh, car's dead on the side of the highway. I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like... So we're trying to figure it out, figure out it's a belt, a belt broke. I'm like, that's an easy fix, you know? So I have her get it towed up to this shop, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, we can throw that on right now. Good. She's going to be on the road in 15 minutes. Boom. Problem solved. I go in to run sound for uh, the service that night. I get another phone call from her. The engine blew. So now I've got a car in Ohio with my wife with a blown engine. I've got a car in Virginia with a blown transmission, and I got two bicycles in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I told Allison, I said, I never thought at 32 years old, my only two working vehicles would be a couple bicycles, but that's where we were. I, I called Matt, and I was like, bro, I got to borrow a church van. So I borrowed a church van. While I'm doing that, somebody uh, that fortunately, this was God, the people that she was going to see owned a car shop, and they had a tow truck. They came and towed that car, and they said, you can just leave it here until you can get it fixed. And we said, perfect. I picked up my wife a little bit after midnight. Um, She was bawling in a restaurant by herself. I picked her up, and that was a long four-and-a-half-hour drive there. We got in the van. She was exhausted. She went to sleep. And me and Jesus started talking. Well, actually, I started talking. He was out of the equation for a little bit. And, And I started going through all this because I've got... Friday, Friday, I'm picking up my car on Friday when we get back. I've got a $3,000 bill due. Now I've got a blown engine 
and a car in Ohio. I don't know what in the world to do. And so I'm starting to figure it out. I've got, you guys know I've got guitars and amps and all kinds of stuff. And so I just start going through a list. And I'm, I'm literally just thinking it out. Okay, I can get this for this one. I can get this for this one. I'm going to sell all this stuff. And I just start going through all the things I could do to pay these bills off. About 2 o'clock in the morning as I'm driving down Pennsylvania Turnpike, headed back to youth camp, Holy Spirit stepped in and he said, okay, you've done all these things that you can do. When are you going to let me do what I can do? And in an instant, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Nathan, he said, this is nothing compared to what you're probably going to face when you go plant a church. It's nothing. And so my question to you is, are you going to trust me with this? I said, all right. I'm going to trust you, God. Man, it was a horrible week. That was Tuesday. We still had the whole week of youth camp to go through. We got done. We had to load all our luggage up with the teens. They brought it back in the trailer. Dave Keep brought our bikes back on his car. We rode back with Pastor Troy. I mean, our stuff, it was a mess. We get back, and Pastor Troy lent us his car so we could get home and get around. And we're coming up 122 here. We had to stop by the church to get our luggage and pick one of the teens up. And I just began to pray. I said, God, we need a miracle. We need a miracle right now. And we trust you for a miracle. We pulled in the parking lot and Pastor Ben, I wanted to punch him at the time, now I love him. Um, <laughs> there's a group of guys standing around and he says, dude, I heard about your car, another one down. I'm like, dude, shut up. I do not want to, it's the last thing I want to talk about, bro. But after, after what happened, I just wanted to hug him because one of the guys, as, he, as we all walked away, one of the guys grabbed me and said, hey, that car in Ohio, he said, you, you call him and you tell him to fix it and I'll take care of the bill instantly like that we just prayed for a miracle there's a miracle we have family member call us up and they said hey we want to give you guys some money they gave us money out of the blue paid help pay off we had to borrow some money on the transmission and i hated doing that we were paying that off every month and this christmas somebody came to me and they wrote us a note and they gave it to us as part of our gift and we opened the note and it said don't read this out loud so allison and i are reading it and it says hey the rest of the money that you had to pay for that transmission we don't want you to stress about it we're going to take care of it and we saw, we saw God work a miracle instantly. And it only came when we began to trust him. And let me tell you something. Those were some rough, rough nights through the month of August. As we laid in bed and both of us would pray and stress because we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills that month. First month of marriage, our second month of marriage, it was a little rough. But we made it through. Why? Not because of anything we did. We couldn't have orchestrated that. We couldn't have done any of that, but because we trusted in a father who cares for us. And that's the message he's giving to you and I today is that he cares for us. Quickly, as we hurry to an end, number five, he tells us anxiety. If you're full of anxiety, then you are just like the world. And that's tough language But that's what Jesus said. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Because the Gentiles seek after these things. Here's the point. If you are anxious, you are acting like the world. This is what people do who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who don't know God. And Jesus is saying, anxiety is worldly. Listen to me. Anxiety about all these things uh, of this world puts us on the same level as unbelievers. It shows that we, re- that we are really very much like the world in what makes us happy. And that shouldn't be. 
I'm not making light of anyone who has severe anxiety and depression. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something different here where we allow ourselves to be so consumed with, with being anxious about the temporary things of life. I'm not talking about a medical condition here, but I'm talking about us just allowing the temporary things of life to get us so bogged down and to get us so crushed that we can't do anything and we don't trust that. And Jesus is, say, is saying, stop it. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what unbelievers do. You have a father that you can trust in. Number six, your heavenly father knows what you need. The end of verse 32, he says, he says that, and your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. All of these things I've just told you, don't be anxious about. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. The point is, don't be anxious because you have a heavenly father and he is heavenly, not earthly. And he knows exactly what you need. Father means that he loves you and that you are on his heart as a child. Heavenly means that he is sovereign over all the earth and nothing can stop him from doing good to you. He knows that you need them means that he is never at a loss to know what is good for you and he has all the wisdom that it takes to meet your needs. So rest in and trust on this promise that your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. Number seven, God will supply everything you need to do his will and his righteousness. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I've said for a long time, this is my life verse, but I honestly don't know that I I really knew what it meant to seek the kingdom of God. I was more interested in all these things will be added unto you, right? Right? I think that's where a lot of us get. But Jesus is saying that when you seek the kingdom of God first, he works for you and he provides all of your needs. The best reason for you and I to stop being anxious is that when you do, God starts being anxious for you. It's such a foolish thing to insist on carrying anxious burdens when God has promised to carry them for us when we put his kingly honor first in everything that we do. There is no guarantee of physical comfort in this world. There is no guaranteed life on earth. But no trial will come to you that he will not give you all that you need to endure that trial to the end. Lastly, God does not overload any day with trouble. I love this one. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. What Jesus is saying here is that God does not overload any day with trouble. Each day has its appointed amount. We all get trouble almost every day, don't we? It always happens. And what he's saying here is don't reach into tomorrow and bring tomorrow's trouble into today. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. The comforting point is unsaid but obvious. It's basically, he's, he's telling us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, each day has its appointed troubles. And there are new mercies appointed for us every day so that you can bear the troubles that you face. You just have to trust him because they're going to be there. So don't misappropriate God's allowed troubles for tomorrow. Don't bring them forward into today in the form of anxiety. Believe that the God of today and the God of yesterday is going to be God tomorrow. Amen? 
The main point of all of this is clear and unmistakable. Jesus does not want his followers to be anxious. John Piper says he does not secure the kingdom by keeping his subjects in a state of worry. On the contrary, according to verse 33, the more primary, the more central his kingship becomes in our lives, the less anxiety we will have. Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the dead in order that he might reign as king over an anxiety-free people. And so that brings us to the main point, finally, of our sermon. How do you and I seek the kingdom first and foremost in our lives? This call of Jesus to his followers to seek first the kingdom of God is in contrast to those who are filled with anxiety over the provisions for daily life and therefore focused on material, temporal things to the neglect of spiritual, eternal eternal things. What he's saying is that when we get so focused on just the provisions for daily life that we're stressed out about them, our focus has become on temporary things. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your focus needs to be on things that are eternal. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It means putting Christ and the things of the Spirit first in our lives. So what does that mean for you and I? When the context of this passage is taken into consideration, it appears to act as an intersection of the two previous topics, suggesting that if you concern yourself with spiritual things, you seek the kingdom of God, the earthly concerns will be added to you, or they'll be provided for. To seek the kingdom of God is to intentionally focus on and fully experience relationship with God. Seeking the kingdom of God does not stop there. It also includes sharing the fruit of relationship with God to others. The kingdom of God is this. God's people in God's place under God's command experiencing God's blessing. And he said that is what I want you to seek. I'm hurrying to a close. I know we're finally over. Julia is here to play. Finally, does this passage indicate that if we seek the kingdom of God, all the things we worry about will be fixed? No. No. It doesn't. The context of Matthew 6, is important because in the next sentence, Jesus speaks. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Seeking God's kingdom does not mean that the rest of our lives is fixed. But it does mean that we have the security necessary to keep in perspective the power of God over our lives. And that reduces our need. To worry. Let's be honest, too many of us are putting way too much of our time and energy towards things that in the end don't matter. We're concerned about jobs and positions and money and security, all of that. Those are all, I understand, we have to have those things and those are good things to have. But what Jesus is saying here is don't make those the main priority of your life. Get your eyes focused on things that are eternal. Things that are going to last forever. Things that are going to outlast you. And the beautiful promise in this passage is that when you and I seek God's kingdom first and foremost, when we seek after his righteousness, he promises that all the things that we get anxious about, clothing, food, life, and all the things that come with that will be given to us because he is a God that provides for us. 
And that is the God that we serve. A father of love, compassion, whose mercies are new to you and I every single day. A God who doesn't want us to be stressed about tomorrow's problems. Because he's still going to be God tomorrow. Amen. Would you stand with me? Father, we love you today. We thank you that you are a heavenly father. A father that cares so much about us. A father that we truly, truly can trust all of our problems to. Peter said it best, I feel like, when he just said, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and you've walked in this room and, and you, you didn't even think we were going to talk about anxieties today. I, I honestly, I, I told Pastor Daryl earlier, I said, I didn't think I was going to preach about anxieties, but I just had to go where the text led me. So maybe, maybe you're, you've gotten your eyes off of the eternal things. Is there anybody here who just say, that's me. I've got my eyes so focused on the, the temporary things. I see your hands. Thank you. Yep. I see your hands. But I'm committing today that I'm going to trust God with these problems. Will you pray with me here? Father, we, we trust in you today. Lord, our commitment is that we, we truly want to be people who live like Jesus told us to live. People who are laying up treasures in heaven, eternal treasures. People who aren't anxious about the things of life, but people who are truly seeking after you and trusting you with the things of life. So God, I pray for these people who've raised their hand, maybe many who didn't raise their hands today, here and in the chapel, people who are online right now, who are saying, that's me. I've got so much stress about what's going on tomorrow that I get so sidetracked from even doing the things God's calling me to do today. So Father, we repent of that. And we ask that you would help us to trust you and to live by your spirit and to live step by step with you. We love you today and we praise you. And it's in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. You are dismissed. For information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.